This episode of Inside Acting is brought to you in part by Rehearsal 2, the app for actors. Want to learn your lines fast? Be off book for auditions? Explore your characters and make stronger choices? There's an app for that. Rehearsal 2. Download it now at rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. That's rehearsaltheapp.com slash download. Hello and welcome to episode 139 of Inside Acting. I'm AJ Meyer. And I'm Trevor Elgott. And on this podcast, we interview writers, directors, agents, managers, casting directors, aerialists, P90X alums, and all sorts of people from the entertainment industry or not. They have something uh, interesting to say and value to add. And we package it up in this uh little podcast here and throw it up on the internet for you fine folks at home yeah and we are uh, our roots are just two guys that decided to start a podcast because we wanted an excuse to talk to these people and find out what worked for them and what advice they might have uh for those of us kind of uh coming after so that's really all it is and uh we definitely invite feedback comments bribes mom jokes whatever you it is you want to send over to us we invite all that kind of stuff uh, feel free to get in touch with us by starting at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. For as many times as you have said that, we have never received a mom joke. Now the race is on. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on this episode, we have part two of our chat, of Trevor's chat, actually, with Drea Weber. So stick around for that. So hey everybody, welcome to episode 139. AJ, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you, my friend? Good, man. You we didn't I didn't want to say anything during our conversation when we were talking before we started recording, but you are literally like fresh off a show tonight, aren't you? Yeah, it's uh we have an 8 show week. I think I may have said this uh on a previous episode. We have an 8 show week, but it's weird because our dark night is actually on Tuesdays. It moves around a bit. It seems like here in New York, most theaters are dark on Monday nights if they do an eight-show week. Some theaters here are dark on Monday nights. Some are dark on Tuesday. There's even theaters that are dark on Wednesday nights. And there's also weird like matinee times as well. So there will be a, a show that has a matinee on, say, a Wednesday afternoon or something like that. So, yeah, I literally just got home maybe 30 minutes ago. And we jumped on this new finagled uh, recording method that we're trying today, which apparently sounds awesome. We were doing some tests a moment ago. so Yeah, I hope this is going to be our solution. The downside is that uh, we can't see each other. For those of our listeners that are a little more technically inclined, what AJ and I usually do for the bicoastal thing, or at least what we've been experimenting with, is doing a, a FaceTime, like face-to-face video chat, and then just recording the audio from that. Um, and we had a lot of issues with the audio quality because we're sticklers for 
that and kind of perfectionists around that. And so now we're trying a uh, good old fashioned Skype and AJ's got an because awesome, we care. yeah, that's right. And you've got an awesome like headset mic thing that you can use. And, and I'm using the AT2020 plus and uh, just recording the audio from our voice chat. So I can't see you. The tests we did sounded great. So hopefully people are listening to this and loving the audio quality here too. I wanted to, before we jump in, I mean, I guess it's part of the catch-up, but before we dive deep into the catch-up, I wanted to just acknowledge you for the dispatch that you sent out. It was really, really well said, really showed a lot of vulnerability and authenticity for you to be able to just, you know, lay it all out there like that. And we had a couple of listeners respond right off the bat, just hit that reply button and and reply back to the podcast because they they felt you dog they felt you uh thanks man i i i wrote that from a really frustrated place and i was afraid it might come off as whiny um but it felt honest so i put it out there and and uh i'm so happy to hear number one that it resonated with people and number two that i'm not alone in feeling that way um and you know it's it's all just feedback like uh, Jack Canfield is one of my favorite kind of self-help guru kind of guys um, talks about, you know, basically all of us having an internal guidance system, an internal GPS, and we can always tell when we're on course or not based on our emotions, based on how we feel, how alive we feel, how much fun we're having, um, how much we smile and laugh and things like that. And uh, if you're not smiling and laughing and having fun with your life, then you're probably off course. So all you need to do is kind of take a moment, get present with yourself and course correct. Mm. And so that's really what, um, I guess is happening there. I'm super excited for what it motivates you to, what it (laughs) brings you to next. Oh, me too. So what's new in your world this week? I mean, aside from just being fresh off the show and I can hear the energy in your voice, which is so cool. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I recognize it. Thank you. I actually, I get to be a little bit ginger with it because the the biggest piece of news, the most exciting piece of news is that tomorrow afternoon and actually all day tomorrow for literally 10 hours, I will be in a recording studio recording my first ever ca- original cast album. Yeah, you are. <laughs> so I am unbelievably excited about that. It's been a really interesting process thus thus far and i know that i'm gonna have um i guess really interesting stories to tell from inside the studio itself <laughs> you know I've, I've had a lot of people say like oh it's a lot of waiting around and 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 whatnot and you know get lots of rest and everything but at the same time like i, I i'm just i'm so excited they're <laughs> They're being so nice to us. They're going to provide food all day. We're we're just going to like be sitting around. It's going to be. I, I feel like it's going to be similar to being on a set. Yeah. Where we're you know everything's catered, and you're just if you're not shooting, you have to restrain yourself from eating everything on the on the cart. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I'm 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 just as excited about the food as I am about the uh, <laughs> the recording. <laughs> That's so cool, man. Well, I'll, I will be watching your Twitter and Instagram feeds uh, closely for breaking news from the front lines. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. And oh, and speaking of things that will happen before we get behind a microphone again, I know you won't do it, so I'm going to say happy birthday to uh-huh. my co-host and and one of my best friends, Trevor Algat, who uh, has a has a has a birthday coming up between episodes here. So Thanks, happy man. happy birthday! Thank you very you. much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's uh What's been going on in your world this week, my friend? The big news is I sh- I took some photos with uh, longtime Inside Acting listener and supporter Daniel Pierce. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah, he 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 has a really good eye and a nice camera and some nice glass. Um, glass being the industry shorthand for lenses. Uh, and we just went to, um, I don't even know where we went. We went to some park somewhere and it was the most like laid back effortless shoot ever. I mean, I've never really hung out with that guy, but he's a good, he's a really cool guy, man. And, uh, we have a lot in common and literally we spent 95% of the time just catching up. And I, I only kind of was half aware that he was taking photos. Oh, wow. So, and he just sent me the, um, I guess like some of the raw, he retouched about a dozen of the pictures and then sent me like 50 or so extras. And I was looking at them and they, they feel like the most authentic representation of myself. I mean, obviously there's a lot of pictures where I'm blinking or making weird faces cause I'm in the middle of laughing or saying something, but the ones that he caught where I was like, actually like, you know, where they're like actually headshot worthy. Um, they feel really, uh, just original and pure and good to me. And, I think in no small part it has to do with the interplay between photographer and subject. So I, I really enjoyed shooting with him. And the coolest part is, is and he's even mentioned this on the uh, Facebook group, he does, he basically works on a tip basis. So it's kind of like a pay what you want deal with him. Um, and for the photos that I've seen of, of his work on his Instagram feed and so on and so forth, and the photos that I got, I... Um, I wish I could pay him like quadruple what I did at the very least. So um, mm. anybody out there is looking for some new photos and looking for a, a, a really nice, smart, cool guy to shoot with for a price that fits your budget, contact Daniel Pierce. Uh, really, really loved working with him. And ex- I'm so excited to get these photos to my representation because they've been asking for photos with my kind of hair and beard thing going on. They've been asking for that look and now I can finally give them something that I'm excited about. Nice. Yeah. And you do, uh, you do have a, a really nice muscular Jesus thing going on right now. <laughs> That's right. I, I also, I also want to point out for our listeners to take note of what you said about the interplay between photographer and subject. And you know, it's, it's one of those like, let the, let, let this be a lesson to you because it's so important. And I've taken many a headshot in my life where they didn't come out looking not that they didn't come out looking like me, they just didn't come out looking like me excited. Right. <laughs> or me yeah. as myself or what have you. So such a great tip. That's all. I just wanted to kinda of highlight that. Yeah. But that's I, awesome. Man. Yeah, you know, in fact one of the um I'm glad you said that because one of the first lessons I learned out here, I, I when I first moved to LA I I actually got involved uh, in a, a situation with an acting coach, which was not healthy or good. Um, and one of the things he taught me right off the bat was that when you're looking into getting headshots done, uh, you should be interviewing the photographers and like literally meeting with them before you spend a, a, a dime, meet with them in person, see how you guys vibe and ask to, to look through their work and all their work, like the wedding photos they take, the um, 
what's the word I'm looking for? The like journalistic style photos they take. I mean, every style of photography that they have asked to see their portfolio and see if you jive with them. And I was like, I remember him telling me this and I, I remember being like, that's a lot of work, man. Like, why can't I just look at a couple photos and, and see if the price is right and then pick that person. But shooting with Daniel just highlighted that again, that yeah, it really is a huge part of it is just how comfortable are you and how, how you can you be with this person pointing the camera mm-hmm. at you? Mm-hmm. a couple emails that we've been pushing back for several episodes now and we finally have the time to dedicate to them so yeah uh the first one is is less of a question and more of a comment on something we talked about um gosh probably like eight or nine episodes ago now and it comes from uh, a listener named stacy so i don't know if you guys remember but uh, a while ago i told a story about going to an audition that i wasn't really on fire about and i got there and there were like 40 other actors just like me in the waiting room and they were they were running like 45 minutes to an hour behind and um i looked at the other roles and essentially i made a choice to leave the audition i just i, I bailed on it without even going in to meet the director or anything and i just i just wasn't feeling it because i figured my time could better be spent elsewhere especially if my heart wasn't in it to begin with and i wasn't a huge fan of the script so um stacy wrote in with a story that was basically similar and she says uh she says i think an easy question to ask yourself if you're considering not going to an audition is if i knew without a doubt that they would cast me if i just go to this audition would i accept the role And then she continues to say, I think this is important because sometimes actors can talk themselves out of roles. And sometimes we have no idea what casting wants. Maybe they changed the role and didn't have time to change the sides. But she also thinks, she says, that there's five, that 5% of the time where it is a waste of time to go in. And um, finding that spot is, is kind of the important thing she finishes up and says lastly a few months ago i did go in for a role where i wasn't right but i showed up 20 minutes early to thumb through the sides for other roles in the waiting area i found a role that i liked more and spent part of the waiting time working on it then when i went in the room i said hi i'm reading for the role of Susie, but i actually read the sides for rachel and would love to read that instead but if that's a mess if that's going to mess things up i totally have Susie prepared and casting actually ended up letting her read the role that she wanted Um, so I think that there's something to take away there and that is a sticking around to see what's possible, something that I did not do in this, my particular case, but that Stacy did here. And then B knowing your type and knowing yourself and having the the confidence to walk in there as a, as an independent creative collaborator and to say to the, the other creatives on the other side of the table, maybe a wouldn't be the best arrangement, but B would be, what do you guys think? I just think it's it's a great lesson kind of owning your presence and owning your power and owning your creativity and owning um, the situation rather than being kind of what, what I think most of us at least have done at the beginning, which is be kind of victim about it. Anything uh, that you wanted to kind of comment on with that? 
that's all great. The only thing I wanted to point out, in addition to what you were saying about sticking around and seeing what could be created from it, is she also showed up early yeah. for an audition. Yeah, and I know did. that se- I know that seems like kind of a no brainer, but it's you know I, I posted something on Twitter and Facebook the other day. I, I put in quotes, uh, "Will you please stop getting here so early?" Said no one ever. <laughs> I saw that man. I loved it. <laughs> And yeah. and it was it was born it was honestly born out of uh you know a bunch of us getting there early for fight call one night and you had you know one of our lead actors is is 20 years old he hasn't even turned 21 yet and then you have some adults in our show that are in their uh I'd say mid to late 40s and everywhere in between and it was just really great to hear the 20 year old agreeing with the the you know I'm going to be 30 soon agreeing with the people who are in their late 40s everybody just kind of on the same page you know if you're early you're on time if you're on time you're late if you're late you're fired yeah yeah <laughs> so congrats stacy for being there early i guess is what i want to say but also just a, a really cool story and just some interesting perspectives because i don't think what you did was necessarily quote-unquote wrong either trev it's just uh you know what what you were saying about knowing yourself knowing your type all that stuff is is really important yeah yeah i definitely stand by my decision and uh or my choice rather and uh this was not the first time i'd been in a situation like this and there was a situation i was in for a film years ago where i actually did exactly what stacy did i found a role in the script where i was like you know what i'm a better fit for this and i took the kind of mismatch the initial mismatch the, like the, the the fact that I was reading initially for a character that wasn't right for me, I took that as feedback on my materials and feedback mm. on the way I'm presenting myself. Mm. And I thought, okay, if if my agent is hooking me up with this role and these casting people look at my photo and my reel and say, yes, that would be a good fit. Let's see him for that. Then I know that I'm not presenting myself accurately. Mm. And so it's, it's just this constant point. Re- refining process. Really good point. Cool. So thank you, Stacy, for writing in. Um, really appreciate uh, you sharing that story with us. And I just, I, I love the, the lessons we can glean from each other's experiences. Uh, so Adria writes in as well with a question about her reel. Do you want to handle this one? Sure. Well, I think we both should, but uh, right, I'll, go right. ahead and, I'll go ahead and read it. <laughs> I meant kick it it's, off, yeah. yeah it's, uh, it's, it, it's all about, yeah, it's all about real, R-E-E-L. So basically she was saying if I've got footage of, say, three to five films, where do I start? Do I pick snippets that I like and then have a professional edit it? Do I show uh, a real editor many different scenes and, and let them help me choose? Uh, if uh, I know, you know how to use iMovie, for instance, should I just cut it myself? How long should each clip be? All, all, all the run-of-the-mill questions for you know what, what, what goes into creating a... Uh, a good reel and uh, the last one being you know do you have any recommendations where to go to get your reel cut all of these are valid is the thing that i would say right off the bat adra i cut my reel in in imovie because i know how to use imovie i know how to use final cut trevor knows how to use final cut we have surrounded ourselves with a lot of nerdy people who know how to use computers there's a lot of people out there who don't there's also a lot of people out there who don't have the footage to begin with, so they go to a real maker in order to support them in creating scenes to put into a reel. Um, and there's a lot of companies out there that do that. There's also pr- 
companies and and independent editors who will take your stuff and and put it together. The, the thing that Trevor has said before that I steal from him all the time is it's really just about looking good and sounding good. And that's the most important thing. If the scene is about you, you look good and you sound good. That is the most important thing. And hopefully, you know, I would say get maybe one or two other eyes that you trust, friends who you trust, art- other artists who you trust, other actors or, or, or probably a director whose eye you trust, a, a film director whose eye you trust, to look at your scenes. <clears throat> but you should know what, your, what, what, what work of yours is good and therefore what you should have in your reel. I would say no longer than 90 seconds. There's a lot of people who have been around for a long time who are very old, old school who will tell you that there's really no time limit. But, you know, there's really no time limit if every single clip that you have is from a major feature film or major primetime television show. If you have guest star after guest star after guest star after guest star and it just goes on and on and on and on and on, then that's great. Let it go on for five, six minutes. But if it's a bunch of snippets from short films that you've done and co-star roles and that kind of thing, then 90 seconds is probably the sweet spot because casting directors don't have time to watch it beyond that anyway. Um, and then something we talked about recently, I think it was recently, maybe a few episodes ago, was that if you have enough footage, you can also split it up into two reels, meaning uh, comedy and drama, and even commercial if you have commercial-specific things. Trev, anything you want to add to that? Wow. Well, you covered so much that I was going to say, so uh, <laughs> <laughs> nicely done. We, um, our, our minds are melding. After 139 episodes, they're literally... <laughs> merging into one i should hope so it's about time damn no, um <laughs> i mean it's, this is such a good question and um it's interesting because i f- i don't know if this is me getting older or if this is just the industry shifting but i do feel like reels don't have the power they used to i feel like what has more weight not more but what has increasing weight um when it comes to your materials is like a scene from a short film or several standalone clips that you can upload to your actor's access account or your LA casting account or whatever region you're in, whatever main casting entity they use online. Um, they usually support several different clips. And what seems to be the kind of trend is uploading individual clips for the different kind of stuff that you've done. And, and like you said, AJ, and something that I'm totally believe a hundred percent that your footage is all about just allowing casting directors to see three things, what you look like, what you sound like, and whether or not you can act. And, uh, when you said looking good and sounding good, AJ, um, of course, I hope everybody knows that that doesn't mean looking pretty and sounding musical. It means clear, high quality footage with good audio. Like the, the, the most important thing when it comes to a reel is to approach it with, the only way I can think of saying it is, uh, well, first of all, everything that you said, AJ, about like 90 seconds and all that and multiple reels, if it's longer than that, and the co-star roles and all, I mean, everything you said, I'm abs- like, I absolutely am in alignment with, but, um, if you're going to have your reel cut by somebody else, or you're going to do it yourself in iMovie, the only way I can think of describing this is just bringing vision to the finished product. Like a lot of people just... They throw a headshot up with their name, with some cheesy title animation and some sappy music, 
and they slap a bunch of scenes together and at the end it's their name again with like their phone number and another headshot and it's like we've all seen that before um i would encourage people to pay particular attention to the pace of the reel and um what's going to catch people uh and keep them watching it and um uh, the order of things and, and can you construct a very, very loose narrative between your clips? And that has to do with the order of the scenes. And Mm. I mean, of course you want to put the most notable and, or the best looking stuff up front because most people are going to watch the first 15 seconds and then, and then check out or move on to whatever next they have to do. So you want to get that stuff up front, but if you're going to have a 90 second reel, just do whatever you can to develop a vision for it. I wish I had a better way of describing it than that, but I think that's important. Um, I think it was really well said. I think yeah, it was really well said. Yeah, and um, no, I, I, I didn't, I didn't mention anything really about about structure. So that's all. I think it's all really, really good stuff. Cool, cool. And then, and then, lastly, Adra, uh, any recommendations on where to get your real cut? And there's a lot of people that do real, real editing um, that I know. Um, as far as companies go, I know SecretHandshake.com. They do really good work. And I know probably a half a dozen editors that could do a bang-up job with your footage if you choose to go that route. So I would love to know where you are with it. So feel free to shoot us an email uh, at insideactingpodcast at gmail.com and um, let us know where you are, and I can hook you up with some of those people. But uh, for the sake of the podcast, I do know that Secret Handshake is awesome for that kind of thing. Rock and roll. Rock and roll. Okay. Adriel, thank you so much for the awesome question. I was excited to talk about this. All right. Uh, anything else you wanted to drop in before we jump into Drea Weber part two? No, let's do this, man. All right, guys. So um, here's part two of my chat with Drea. Uh, again, such a joy and honor to sit across from such a fantastic human being. Um, some interesting knowledge bombs in here, or not maybe not knowledge bombs, but little things that I wasn't aware of about um, the DIY feature film process um, that, that Drea drops on us in this one. So enjoy part two of our chat, guys, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side. So I, I want to talk about your film work specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and I also definitely want to talk about the fitness stuff. Like, I haven't seen The Gymnast, mm-hmm. but you you guys won, like, I think 28 awards for it. Yeah. You won Best Feature Film, I think, at Outfest, mm-hmm. and then also A Marine Story, which you um, produced and mm-hmm. starred in, and I, I'm sure you guys, you you know, supported Ned with the writing and things yeah, like yeah. that. Um, you won Best Actress or Outstanding Actress mm-hmm. at, at another film festival. So you've, yeah. you've got a nice track record of creating your own work Mm -hmm. and doing it really, really well and creating work that is very specific to you. Like, I love that you were, that you took your, your, your passion, your life and your experience as an aerialist. And you were like, great. I'm an aerialist, you know, like who's who can play this role? I nominate myself, you know, (laughs) I think that's, that's brilliant. And of course you played the type really, really well in a Marine story as well. Like I loved that movie. I've watched it twice. And every time I'm just like, totally believable. That is not Drea from Piano the X. That is this woman. Ah, thank you. Um, yeah. So, so you really, you played the type really, really well and you really leveraged your personal experience with that. So, um, I want to talk a little bit about the process of what that was like developing these pieces and making the choice 
place to create your own work versus waiting to be cast in something. And then what that process was like being in front of and behind the camera and yeah. seeing the production from all these different levels. I know that I just asked you a massive <laughs> 10 million questions, but um, let's start with maybe what was the choice like to say, you know what? It's time to make a feature. It's time to play to my strengths mm-hmm. and let's take the first step. Okay. So neither Ned nor I are idiots about the the finances of filmmaking and how expensive it is versus the return. There was a statistic that I learned one at a film festival or at a film workshop or something that is uh, 1% of all feature films, produced feature films within a year get distribution. Of 1% that 1% of every feature film mm-hmm. actually gets it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Of that 1%, 1% make their money back. So you go into this thing, you can't be, and you can't be, uh, you can't pretend to be naive about it because we didn't want to make our movies where people weren't being paid. So we did them SAG, paid the crew. We didn't, we didn't do a kind of deferral thing. Granted, it's not enough money. People are playing, working for reduced rates, but still we're paying people and having pay per, there are things you can't avoid. You have to buy production insurance. You have to pay for insurance. You have to pay locations. There's a, there's an unfortunate habit, particularly in, a community like Los Angeles where uh, where film productions tend to get gouged for money and mm. people don't have an, uh, they don't understand the difference between productions with money and productions without right. because it just seems like if a movie camera's there there's got to be a ton of money mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. the the add- add-ons was a yeah. uh, that's boy talk about rage making it's like oh by the way parking is at two thousand dollars oh by the way you got to pay our security guy oh by the way and you're stuck and they know you're stuck right so anyway we we uh knew that it was going to be a money thing and i had i had done a film in um the mid 90s called uh called everything relative and it was a sort of big chill uh, ish uh knockoff for uh with uh predominantly for the lesbian community and the writer director was a, a lesbian who had a very clear purpose and she wanted to create content that for for women made by women um and it got to sundance and it and it was distributed and it got me a little fan base which r- sort of remained loyal to me and i kept getting correspondence from people all over the world mm-hmm. saying when are you going to make another movie so Ned and I thought that would be a really smart strategic anchor. And we had heard over and over again that if you have a, an audience, a specific audience that you can target to as an indie film without stars and without advertising money, you have a real leg up because at least you know there are some people who want to see you. So I knew, we knew there were probably a thousand people who really cared a lot whether I did a movie again or not. There's your thousand so true like, fans. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we go, all right, that's, and this is before social media or Facebook or, or anything like that, where it's, where now it's easier to reach a broader audience and have a, have a, a base. This was just people who'd write me. So we were like, okay, well, let's try to put in the story, weave in a component that can satisfy that core audience. And then let's weave in the creation of an aerial act because that's what I do that could add, as I said, production value to the movie, create a visual component that isn't used that much in the world, especially especially woven into a story. It's used in the way theater uses it a lot where it's like, you know, bring in the, 
you know, the dog and pony show. Mm. But to actually weave it into and have one of the lead characters do it is very unusual and not a stunt person or right. CGI. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, the the themes of what does a person who's defined themselves in one way for the first part of their life do when that's taken away? And so the idea of marrying that with a sense of, is it possible to rebirth oneself, to reinvigorate, to to start again, to um, what happens when life gives us an opportunity to look at where we are, which is mm. really where the story is anchored. So it, it was, and to these different themes, to weave them all into one narrative, to make it feel like a really legitimate um, question. And also the, the other question for women, the if you haven't had a child reaching an age where it becomes a question of whether you can or not, and if that's always been an idea how that you would in the character in that movie, does she develops a strange way. She's kind of trying secretly to get pregnant because she can't quite, her husband doesn't really want to, and she can't quite bring herself to be strong in it and stand for herself um, and just this is what I want, you're going to support me in it or not. So she's kind of being a little sneaky about it. She's trying to get pregnant without him knowing. Um, but the question of does that diminish your value as a woman? What is that? What what happens when a woman has to look at her life in that way? It's like, oh, I'm not going to have children, so what am I? What am I? Wow. I'm not a mother. I haven't created that. How uh-huh. am I going to be creative? How am I how am I going to define myself when so much of the world defines women by having children? Yeah. At least this culture, yeah. This culture, yeah. yeah. So it's it's a, is a really rich, really rich thematic um story, rich rich things to draw upon. And then the as far as being a performer, Jane was really different from the way I perceive myself. She was pretty crushed and unable to stand up for herself, unable to voice her wants and needs. Um, but then as she finds her creative spirit, her creative spark and what she's good at, which is this physical creation of an aerial act and realizing that all of her, all of her work as a gymnast years before gave her a perfect physical foundation to become an excellent aerialist, which was a revelation. But that then sparked everything. It sparked her creative spirit. It sparked her being able to see her relationship as being unfulfilling um, and, and started to give her the strength to actually address it. Hmm. So it was a great, wonderful, wonderful thing to work on, but it really different from me. And I, as an actor, I was like, "Wow, she's so crushed. She's so passive. I'm not sure I like this woman." <laughs> you know, it's it was yeah, a yeah, and it's really until the very end of the film where she kind of stands for herself. So I had to figure out what I liked about her and could connect to as an actor, mm-hmm. just for that one thing, as a as a producer or a co story writer or creator. Um, it was more about how can we make it complex so it's not just uh, a cynical taking advantage of a niche audience because we knew we weren't interested in that. We wanted to make a broad themed movie that wouldn't be shuttled off to a niche. 
Right. But that's right. tricky. It's, you know, you need money to, particularly then, you need money to advertise. Mm-hmm. It's a crazy, crazy equation that even the big tentpole movies that half of their budget is advertising. Yeah. Yeah, $150 million movie spends $150 million yeah. in advertising. Well, what, if you don't mind me asking, what was the budget for the gymnast? About 300000 Wow, okay. Yeah. And then how much of that did go to advertising? And- Nothing. Really? <laughs> well, no, because we didn't know you need to have money to add. We were like, well, you got to make the movie. Right, right. The movie took every single penny of resource plus. Jeez. I mean, we had to take a second mortgage on the house because of budget overrun. I mean, it was... There was so nothing left and to I, advertise. I, I think that is really common. I mean, 1% of all films get distribution and 1% of that, which now that puts us into like, what, a hundredth of a percent or mm-hmm, something, mm-hmm. that they make their money back. And you, and then you've got to have this money for advertising. It's almost like, why even try? It is. Because yeah. we're crazy and we can't not. Because you can't not. And we yeah. have to. So it doesn't matter. Yeah. Do you? Can you see yourself ever working like a regular... You know, right, quote unquote, regular job in no. a cubicle somewhere. No, no, no. I'm, I consider myself really lucky when I get to do the odd movie every once in a while. So there's some residuals so I can get SAG insurance, you know, mm-hmm. or a mm-hmm. commercial that runs for a while and get that. That's, that's, a, those are the, to me, those are regular jobs. Right, right, right. <laughs> I don't know. I, no, I could never. I could never. Yeah. I'm really, I always thought too that I can always teach. I actually like it. I got burnt out on it, but now I like it again. Teaching, I mean, you've got a lot of huge stuff to pull from for teaching. Yeah. You could teach aerialist yes. work. You could yeah. teach gymnasts. I could teach fitness. Yeah. I could teach, uh, I could teach um, longevity. I could teach uh, injury uh, recovery yeah. from a performer point of view because so much I've learned from all the different injuries I could teach. Uh, and I'm really interested in those things. So I, I, don't, I, don't, I feel really like I, if I can't keep performing or writing for performance or trying to storytell, mm-hmm. uh, I'll figure out something else that'll, mm-hmm. that still has the same elements of it. Yeah. Because even at, at the most foundational, being able to have a strong, vital body or to encourage people to be, to aim toward that, means people can have more energy in their lives, which means more energy to give support and love, which means more energy to pass on good information, which means more energy to affect other people. You've probably read about like there's studies where people, people who change their eating habits or develop uh, more healthy lifestyles, if they're more active, if they walk more, if they, but a lot diet dietary changes they affect their immediate circle of, of people. Yeah. Just because they do it. Yeah. So if you think sort of exponentially, and I'm sure I don't know if Tony talked about that, but but it's a kind of you know, and they tell two people, and they right, tell two people, right. and they tell two people. Right. Yeah. It it it's a really great thing to be a part of. Yeah. So anyway, I I I don't think I see any of it as separate from anything else. And me being able to be strong and healthy personally, specifically to me means I get to be a creative performer Mm -hmm. and I get to share my joy of being in the air, which means I get to, well, it's just, it's everything. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've heard it said that once you get your health and fitness handled, everything else in your life just kind of falls into place. 
And I think that's really true. I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, yeah. So, so what is, I guess like, I mean, you look like you're about half your, your age. So you obviously have got a lot of that area (laughs) figured out. Uh, and I know that that's something that Tony harps on a lot in the videos. Uh And of course, you know, every interview I've read, like they all start out with like, it is ridiculous sitting in front of this person. I know. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. And that's been a really great thing too. Cause I'm, I'm 52 and I don't give a shit anymore. I, it is <laughs> gone. And that has that's been amazing. more like in the past few years where I, being a performer, you get, uh, I had adopted a lot of shit about that, that I wasn't even really aware of and fear. Uh, it's all fear, particularly and I would justify it in my mind because I'd be like, well, I'm a woman and it's harder for women because women have to be, women have to be younger. They have to be perfect because it's our attractiveness and, you know, and you have blah, blah, blah. And it's fed into, and it certainly is to fed into it in the, in the acting industry. And it's very youth oriented and, you know, yeah. the age seems to be used as a weapon against you or as a hurtful thing. But I've discovered that that's all my interpretation of it. It used to bug me when people would come up after a show, a three-hour show, where they've seen me dance and sing and interact and all this and do my aerial act, and they'd be like, how old are you? The first question, I'd be like, fuck, really? But, but, then, I, but then I realized, like, no, right. Yeah. Yes, really. And usually, mostly, it was women, and mostly mm. women my age. But then I started to realize it's like, no, they need to know because it's still possible for them. It's like me giving someone really great information and then going, yeah, and you can do it. And I'm not that unusual. You can do it. So the conversation can go from, you know, how old are you? And if I'm going, oh, you're trying to diminish me, then immediately it's like, oh, well, guess. Or it becomes like this vanity thing or this weird dancing around. But instead it's like, I'm 52. Did you like the show? They're like, oh, my God, you're amazing. It looks like you love it so much. I'm like, I do. Did you, you know, like, oh, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, well, you can. So then the conversation very quickly becomes the root of it, which is the person wants to know if they can do it. Mm. So it becomes an empowerment conversation, really. Totally. Totally. That is so great. And then, and then you're serving a much larger purpose. Oh, not to mention. just to entertain. How it makes me feel yeah. so much better. And not this thing of... Oh, they're trying to make less of me somehow, which is what my interpretation was for a long time. There are two role models in my life who blew the top off of any concept of what was physically possible with age. And one was this woman named Bernadette Pace, who had a trapeze rig in southern India, in Bloomington, Indiana, which was I stumbled across when the summer after I finished my competitive gymnastic career. And I was injured, and I didn't get to go to nationals, and I was, it was a very frustrating last season, because I was All-American, I had qualified and didn't get to go, because I was so hurt. Um, and so I discovered trapeze, and it was amazing, and she was 60-something, early 60s when I met her then, and had discovered trapeze in her late 30s, and had built a trapeze with her 16-year-old nephew, and this crazy inspirational person who had this club where she didn't charge people a penny to fly. Mm. So, and it was all just this community of people supporting this thing that they loved and all different walks of life and all different ages. And I completely fell in love with it. And she was an incredible inspiration and she's still flying. And 
she's 70 something really early 70s now God, i love that so she was one key one and then there was uh there was i was doing a something in london i can't remember in the 80s and i met a guy named nick stewart who had been one of the most successful gymnasts in uk history and he was 68 when i met him and he was still doing his olympic gymnastic routines nice. yeah white hair and a crazy red face and he was an amazing spirit and i and he was the other person hmm. where it was just like these ideas we have are ideas they're not true and they're not real and i had a beautiful embodiment and a woman and a man just blowing it out the water because they both shared the spirit of like so much joy in doing it so that's wow. they they were they were really key to me so i definitely aim to be a person like that for other people that's so inspiring yeah i would love to be ancient and be in the air <laughs> i would that would be a joy joy joyous thing because you know the, one of the questions i was about to ask you was what what is next when the day comes that you can't do this? And what I'm hearing is that that's not even a thought you're entertaining. I don't know. It's just like you, the passion. The passion drives you, and and as as long as those thoughts are don't exist, and you have thoughts of like I just love this, yeah. Then then the sky's the limit. I don't. I I've told friends kind of jokingly that if. <laughs> You know, there's a sort of, I do have an aesthetic, you know, about being sure. in the air and that if I'm unable to see it for myself and I cross the line, I've asked friends to, you know, be, be, <laughs> right. to be not afraid to say, oh, it's time, it's time, <laughs> it's time. come down now. But yeah. then I think on the other hand, maybe it's just a matter of forming it creatively to what is possible when I'm 80 mm. in the air. Yeah. Amazing thing about working for Teatro Zanzani. I've seen women. There's uh, uh, my my uh, co-star in a couple of these shows. Frank Ferrante does a thing where he brings up an older woman. He says it's his first love and they dance. And it's an incredibly beautiful thing. And I've been able to see women. He picks, tries to find the oldest woman in the room. And s sometimes they're in their 90s. Wow. But you would swear. Well, you can't. You almost can't determine their age. And I have been so inspired by some of these women and their vitality and how sharp they are mm. and what's possible. So if, I don't know, that would be a real goal to try to see what, what, what story could be illustrated, what moment could be illustrated to show the spirit of a human body at that age in the air. What 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 could that be? And and I I pray that I'm still inspired. I feel like I'm hearing that. the seeds of the gymnast too. <laughs> the gymnast <laughs> ten. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's really that's really inspiring. One of my r role models, um, believe it or not, is Dara Torres, who's an Olympic swimmer, and yeah. she was the oldest woman to, I believe, uh, win a medal uh, in the history of the Olympics. Uh, oh no, I'm sorry, not in the history of at least swimming. Old was she? Uh, she was forty-one, I think, and Amazing. she won silver in the fifty free by a hundredth of a second. She lost to gold to a twenty-four-year-old German chick, and I just, I, you know, I, I followed her journey because it was so inspiring. The the discipline and mm -hmm. the team of people that she had around mm -hmm. her, and um, it was fascinating. And her her kind of claim to fame, like her saying, is that age is just a number. You know, I my back went out when I was like twenty-one. And it was out for like six months, like the effects of it I was unable to do. 
any anything gymnast anything it was an, it was an injury sustained during mm-hmm. yeah okay. yeah kind of uh, the the subsequent the spasms were sort of un uh, I couldn't, I couldn't unweave it. So I had the experience of being in my early twenties and having this, this, uh, this thing that stopped me. So, and I don't know if it's part of being in the air. Part, part of the beauty of being an aerialist is the constant inversion. So you get gravity's opposition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. on your body, which expands the spine and lengthens it. And, um, and then the, it's a non-impact, uh, endeavor. Yes, yeah. basically, or yeah. super low impact. Um, it's it's can be tough on the joints, the shoulder joints in particular. But uh, other than that, it's incredibly harmonious for the human body. So I feel now better than I did when I was twenty. Hmm. Gymnastics is a ton of impact. It's very rough on the body yeah. on all directions. Because you're upside down, right side up, so it's ankles, knees, hips, back, shoulders, um, and I, I'm in much better. Um, I'm in less pain now than mm. I was, but there's so much more. I have a team of people too. You know the the amount of it um, information, beautiful information about the human body and injury and recovery and a kind of holistic point of view and diet and. And physical science, exercise science, so how to warm up the body, how to uh, not fatigue the muscles. It's, it's, it's an incredible time that we live in. Yeah. You know, it's, it's yeah. beautiful. That's my favorite thing about X3. I did P90X for a year, and mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. But when I popped in X3, I didn't do two yet, but X3, mm-hmm. I was like, oh, my God, the sports science has come so far. And I'm more flexible doing yoga for a half hour a week mm-hmm. than, I've, than I've been my entire life doing yoga for four times as long. These amazing studies. Yeah. Gretchen Reynolds, who writes for the New York Times, wrote a book called The First 20 Minutes, which is extraordinary. I really recommend it to anyone who's interested in, in body science and so many studies. And I will paraphrase and I'm sure mangle. I, I don't, the statistics are, are not in my head. But a kind of less is more, but, but, but stress the body. Intensity. Yeah. Intensity intensity and to to a shocking degree where people work out for an hour half a day and people work out seven minutes a day and the people who work out seven minutes a day intervals with with high intensity have better benefit than the people work out an hour and a half i'm not advocating that people not work out but but the science of it is is kind of stunning and shocking and um but 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 i have benefited from that myself too learning you know non uh, the difference between static stress, uh, static stretching, and dynamic stretching. Yeah. Uh, warming up the the activate muscle groups to get them talking. Yeah. Uh, so that so that everybody's ready is is a much more of a way I think of warming up my body now to do to do a show or do an aerial act. Wow. Because um, I tore a labrum, or I actually I don't even know when I tore it. I could have torn it twenty five years ago. I have no idea. My shoulder would started locking when I was doing competitive gymnastics in college. It would lock in a certain position, and then I would lose. I couldn't raise my hand above my shoulder. And then it would either, usually the next day it would go away or kind of find itself or something. So that's been going on for about, it went on for about 20 years. And I had a, because I was insured, not insured, insured, not insured, probably not insured more of my adult life than I have been insured because I'm a performer. (laughs) 
so then uh, I had an opportunity where I kind of popped, you know, heard something pop in rehearsal, and it was a job where there was workers' comp, so I was able to get the shoulder looked at, and I had a piece of floating cartilage in the shoulder joint. Oof. And But I had also a torn labrum 10 o'clock to 3 o'clock, and the labrum is only 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock. So that only means <laughs> that means 9 to 10 o'clock was still there. So it's a pretty dramatic tear. Yeah. But I had a, a surgeon who didn't because he said, "Well, you can do what you're, you can do what you want to do." I was like, "Yeah, I can't do outward rotation where its strength moves, but I don't put them because I choreograph what I do. I don't have to put them in, so I don't have to. It's not really a problem, but the locking of the joint is a problem." So he advocated that we not do the labrum repair, which puts gets you. Uh, they to retighten the ligament, and then you have to. It's a six month recovery. Where you basically they have to over tighten it, and then you have to break down, oh, break it in, and get the get the proper range of motion back. Very painful. It takes a lot of time, and it yeah. knocks you out. I didn't want to do that. He said, "Well, I, I, let's do let's get that let's get that thing out of there." It was like the size of a lima bean. I have no idea when or where or how that happened, but probably it happened a long time ago. Uh-huh. So he removed that, and it's been great ever since. My labrum wasn't repaired, but but I know how because of the physical therapy from that surgery, and I was only out for a month. The whole idea of just activating the everything around the shoulder joint, all the small connective muscles and right. tissue, get those warm, so that they're not in panic mode. Trapezius, take over. (laughs) Somebody take over. We're not ready. Has been a a revelation. So I've learned to kind of do that with the the parts of my body so everything's awake. Wow. And then then it's hard to... The warm-up is so much shorter. Yeah. And no static stretching. Yeah, there's not... I haven't done... I don't think I've done a single crunch or a single static stretching move aside Mm -hmm. from maybe a yoga pose. Mm Mm-hmm like tree or something in all of X3. Which are all balanced. So you're still, yeah, still you're working. even though it would appear static, it's not because of the of the balance and Yeah. I love X3 too. I'm a real I'm crazy for I I yeah. just I think it's brilliant. I I it's my yes. favorite of all and and yeah. I don't care who knows it. <laughs> right on. Here's another thing. Um and this is something that I think is really important for people to suggest to themselves. Sometimes I don't want to do a half hour workout and even it being a half hour seems too much, but I've started to put the workout in and do it without changing my clothes because I've learned for myself getting dressed to work out will sometimes stop me from working out. Really? That if I have to put on my freaking leggings or a sports bra or whatever, the, the idea of getting dressed to work out will stop me from doing it because I'm like, Fuck that. I don't want to put on my workout clothes. But I've learned that I put the workout in and just start. Because usually it doesn't matter unless I'm wearing stilettos, you know, which I'm, you know, not. I'll So I'll end up doing for X3 the workout just in my clothes. Just straight up in your jeans. Or I'll do 10 minutes or 15, which is still better than not doing it because I didn't want right. to put on my workout clothes. I was just going to ask you what your advice would be to somebody who just cannot seem to motivate themselves to Don't get off the couch. Don't put your workout clothes Don't on. Put, your workout clothes on. <laughs> put wow. the thing in, do X3 because at least it's a half hour. And then if you do five minutes, you still did five minutes. 
mm, which is five minutes more. Know, than yeah. That. And what percentage of a sixth? You did a sixth. If you did 10, you did a third of the workout. Yeah. And you'll be sweating after that. You like, will. It's intense. Intense 30 minutes. But it's a great, I, 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 it's been such a revelation to me to go, oh, wow, I'm much more likely to do this if I don't have to put on my workout clothes. So that's what I would say. I would suggest wow. really, you know, it's Tony's thing. Just push play. Yeah. Really just push play. Don't go put your shoes and your sweats and your favorite t-shirt, your towel and your little thing and your pen and your... Tony would kill me. (laughs) No, he wouldn't. No, he wouldn't. It's... I've just... I think it's really... he workout clothes, so... Yeah. Yeah. What's the difference? You know, he goes to his meeting, he shoots the thing, he's... Yeah. Yeah. I would really say... To just put it in and start. Wow. So how did you get involved with um, Tony and Tony and the kids? Tony and the kids. I did a, uh, my neighbor when I first moved to LA, who was the brother of a dear friend of mine who I worked with in New York, was in the test group for P90. No, for Power 90. All the way back to Power 90. Way back to Power 90. So this was in 2000, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we started doing the workouts and it was sort of the end of the test group, but Tony could see that I was like a fitness geek and he asked me to, they wanted to keep doing the classes after the 90 days had passed and Tony would, he wanted to go skiing sometimes. So he asked me to teach the classes when he was, when he couldn't teach. So we became, uh, friends and then. I think he asked me to do a little bit of the Power 90 workout. You were, you were in those videos, right? I wasn't in the... Was I in the no, I, wasn't, I was in the infomercial. I wasn't in the videos, no? though. Okay. I don't think... I not think for Power 90, but... With, with P90X, I got a, bon- a couple bonus workouts, and I just put them in once or and I think you're in one of them. Really? I'm pretty sure. I could be wrong, but No, I, you're probably right. Uh, okay, anyway. <laughs> memory. <laughs> I've done a fair amount of things for those folks at Beachbody. Now, so, Holy yeah. moly. <clears throat> anyway, so then when he was putting together P90X, which is this really ambitious, very... Uh, they really put a lot behind that. Yeah. And they worked on it for a long time, and Tony worked on it a long time, and Ned worked on it a long time, and they really wanted to make a product that would exceed... Any of the standards that of anything that was being put out at the time, and they also uh, didn't think it would be successful to a broad audience. They thought it would be successful to former elite athletes, people, collegiate athletes, people, people who are more more serious. It took about a year and a half before. Yeah, the first successful infomercial. Yeah, that's what he was telling us. It took out. they had it took they, took, they took a lot of tries. They I think were, they were they went through like. Oh, 20 something versions of the infomercial before they found one that actually yeah. landed with people. Yeah, they did. And Ned just kept hammering away at it. And well, it's a good metaphor for an artistic life as mm-hmm. well. It's just, mm-hmm. just, you know, shoot, adjust, aim, yeah. shoot, adjust, just aim, shoot. aim. And, and because the, what they had was so good. And I remember talking about that a lot with Ned because it was so discouraging. I was just like, this product is so great from the design to the photography, to the way it's presented, to the support materials, to the nutritional guide, to the... It is so well done. It's And it's kind of aesthetically beautiful. It's going to... People are going to appreciate that. They're going to. Yeah. And they did. And, it, and then it just kept having this very positive feedback in itself where there's such positive word of mouth about it. People had such positive experience. Nobody was returning the workout. Beachbody had... They have a money back guarantee. Yeah, but it wasn't being returned. 
they build in a certain amount of percentage of assuming that that's what's going to come back. And nobody was nobody sending was it back. No. I love that. Because, so and people great. would get it and they talk about it. There were some people, uh, testimonials named for some people would, a couple of people got it and because they wanted to be able to say, it's not real. It's bullshit. I'm going to, I'm going to be happy to send this back and get my money back. And mm-hmm. then they'd be like, Oh yeah, it's kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I kind of, yeah. yeah. So, know, yeah. Uh, so it's been a whole journey. And, uh, so I, uh, Tony, when he was putting together P90X asked me for some, he was looking for different uh, exercises from different disciplines, and he asked me what some of the uh, core, core training mm-hmm. we do in gymnastics. And he was working on his handstand at that time, which he has now perfected. <laughs> Tony's handstand is pretty bomb-proof right now, but he couldn't do one then when I first met him. Hmm. So, so, and the hands, the Drea roll, and mm-hmm. that was it. Was really fun to be a part of those, and and then. I think just because he he appreciates somebody who is really committed to being physical and supporting mm-hmm. a kind of a healthy life and and spreading the spreading the joy. Yeah, you guys uh, are pretty close now. Yeah, he's yeah. he's great. We have I've, it's been really great. I did one of his armed forces tours with him, and That's so cool. that was really fun. It's it's fun. Not not fun. It wasn't fun. It was really it was hard and. But incredibly informative, and it felt really great to mm. to be um, to be to be going out and supporting the armed services and trying to people who serve and and trying to give the, uh, our service people another tool to to be healthy. And yeah, and I think it, it comes back to what we were talking about a little bit before we started recording, which was that really by far it's the nicest, most generous people. That are successful. I, yeah. I, in my experience, I've you know I've met a lot of successful people, and ninety nine point nine percent of them are wonderful to be around. They're yeah. generous. They they make you feel like you're the only person in the room. Mm-hmm. You know they they're genuinely interested, and in, you know there's that small percentage that are that are assholes, but like you find that they don't last very long, and so. You know, Tony's a great guy, yeah. and, and you're obviously a wonderful person. So it's it's wonderful to just to have that reinforced and talk, you know. You know, I that. think that when you have to really find what you love, and and uh, someone like Tony's a really good example of he wasn't financially successful until, until his like late thirties, yeah, forties or something yeah. like that. Yeah, but that is opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to reinvestigate why you do something. Right. So he kept being given the opportunity to question, why do I care about this? Why is it important to me? Mm. Why am I interested in people being healthy? How how am I going to set up my life? How am I going to find work where I'll be paid so that I can keep learning about how people can be healthy? So that's that's what he had done when he at the time that he met Carl and then they were able to start working on the work. Uh, Carl is the CEO yeah. of Beachbody, yeah. so that they were start to start the, so that they were able to collaborate on the workouts. He was already in a point in his life where he had had to question over and over and over again, "Why do I care about this?" So then that ties back to. Uh, if you want to be a creative person, you have to figure out how to, you know, feed yourself and keep asking yourself, "What do I care about? What am I passionate about?" And then you get to be a person like what you just described, where because you have had to ask yourself that for decades, then you are sincerely interested in what you do. 
because mm. you know the whole mm. picture. Yeah. And I don't think you're an asshole if you really care about what you do. I don't see how you can be. Yeah. I don't. Because being an asshole means you don't see the world and you don't see people. You don't care about people's whole experience or that everybody suffers or everybody's trying to figure it out. Nobody gets a pass. People who are born into money don't get a pass. People who achieve fame early in life don't get a pass. People who achieve fame later in life, nobody gets a pass. I don't believe it. I don't believe that it, it, life is easy for anybody. I think yeah. that everybody gets really hard, hard shit thrown at them. Mm-hmm. And it's always perfect for that person. Mm-hmm. We always have our, our perfect challenges, yep. I find. I think so. Hey everyone, welcome back and really stoked that Trev got an opportunity to sit down and and make this interview happen, not only because of all of the awesomeness that Drea brings to the podcast, but also because I know how much of a P90X fanboy you are and <laughs> um, and uh, how cool to have, like, I mean, I made the joke that it's like, a, you know, where are they now of P90X, but... I mean, we had like the two, like the king and queen of of, uh, <laughs> of of Beachbody on our podcast. That just makes me really excited. Yeah, it feels that way in many ways, and you know, it's just so cool to meet these people and just just experience how grounded and down to earth and enthusiastic and positive and and just real they are. You know, like I think there's ever ever everybody. I think not everybody. I'll speak for myself. I always seem to have this fear that my kind of heroes and the people I look up to and and try to kind of model some of my you know different aspects of my life after I'm always afraid that if I were to meet them that they would turn out to be douchebags or you know somehow just like not impressive people um and I can say 110% with Tony and Drea that I was like I'm like more in love with them more fans of them now after meeting them because they are such great people and they're all doing well at what they're doing for all the right reasons. Always good to hear. Yeah. Always yeah, totally. good to hear. And you know what was really interesting to me about, Drea said something towards the end of this interview where she, where she was talking about making her film A Marine Story, which uh, I mentioned that I saw twice. It's a really good film. It's on Netflix, so if anybody who out, out there who would like to see it, just pull it up. Good flick. Um, she says that 1% of all feature films ever made get distribution and then of those that get distribution only one percent of those actually make their money back Mm. that that was just something for me to chew on i thought i thought wow you know this is the odds are stacked against us and i always knew that but it i don't know hearing her say that as somebody who's been in a couple feature films and done some tv work and does a lot of theater work it just made me realize like i know we talk about this a lot but you never really arrive even when you're Tom Cruise, you're just, you know, one awful interview with Matt Lauer away from everybody kind of, you know, <laughs> like talking shit about you for a while. Like, I think mm. after that interview with Matt Lauer and then another kind of weird interview with Oprah, I think like Universal like severed their, severed their partnership with him. And mm. if Tom Cruise is not invincible to this kind of thing, I mean, he's doing fine. Don't get me wrong. And I, th- I think he's a great actor and a really nice guy. But I mean... It's just it's just an example that like it's you're always kind of there's like there's really no such thing as job security. <laughs> you've got to be a good person and you've got to be a generous person and you've got to work hard at every level. You know, um, 
like um, James Dumont said, if the Fonz has got a hustle, you know what the hell? Am yeah, I doing? yeah. He gave him a he gave him a, a, a business card. Yeah, I yeah. I I mean, it, it's almost empowering to me to hear that because it, it, it's it's sort of the, the my my initial my gut reaction when I heard you say that when I heard her say that is that means there's like nothing to lose it's like so what if i if i put something out there and no one sees it or it doesn't make any money or it doesn't whatever like who cares i made a feature or i put a story out there or i had the balls or the guts or the gusto or whatever to make that happen and if it doesn't make its money back it's okay so i'm not in the one percent of the one percent (laughs) <laughs> I'm not in the I'm not in the point zero 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 one percentile of things that go. It, it to me it it it's it's almost, I'm I'm my I'm hearing it as an empowering thing. Hmm. It's like just go for it. Who you know who like literally who cares? Yeah, what it you, just doesn't matter. <laughs> what what you just said was almost verbatim what I read in an interview with Andy Samberg after he did his very first movie. He literally said, the, the, the reporter asked him, he said, are you afraid that this movie will flop and that, you, you know, you'll just make a laughing stock of yourself? And he said, I don't care. I made a feature length film and nobody, <laughs> and nobody can take that away. That's he said, nobody take that away. I fucking did it. And all a bunch, you know, everybody else is just talking about it. And he's like, so I don't care if, how it does at this point. I'm just happy to have, have to be here. I thought That's that was really amazing. wise, you know? <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. That's incredible. So, um, cool. yeah, let's move on to uh, pick of the week section. Yes. Uh, what do you uh, got? Um, so my pick of the week, I'm really excited to talk about every once in a while. I'm not a big app guy, first of all, but every once in a while, a tool comes along that I think is essential for actors to have. And we've talked about, you know, how we don't like the N-word on this podcast, networking. We don't like to say that. We much prefer to say relationship building. And this app I came across completely by accident or completely by chance the other day. And it's probably one of the best tools for relationship building you could ever hope to find. It's called Refresh. And I'm sure it's available for Android as well as iOS. Actually, I'm not sure. I don't know. I only have an iPhone. So... Um, don't quote me on that, but I'm, I'm on their website right now. Are you? It okay. It doesn't look like it, but all right. So no Android version. Okay. Trevor gets to go home. Um, it, it's, <laughs> Bye, Trevor. it's essentially, no, it's, it's like the most brilliant, like stalking tool you could ever hope to have without stalking somebody. What it does is it, it, it can, you can connect all your social networks. So you connect your Facebook, you connect your Instagram, you connect your LinkedIn, you connect your Google Plus, you connect your Twitter, and it also references your address book on your phone. And then essentially you boot up the app after you've connected these services and you type in someone's name and it aggregates all of their activity from all these different social networks and it highlights the kind of milestone events from all these different networks. And it gives you like a digest of that person's recent past that you can just scroll through in 30 seconds so that when you go to meet them, you've done your homework and you can kind of basically speak into their experience and ask them about things. And we've talked about this before, and this is something that Keith Ferrazzi talks about in his book, Never Eat Alone, all the time, which is a great book on building relationships. Um, It's so flattering to somebody when you've done your homework and you've read up about them because 
everybody is really asking whether they know it or not to be appreciated, to be, uh, to be somebody that is worthy of curio- of other people being curious about. And, um, the best way to do that is to learn about them and be generous with your spirit and your time and ask questions about them. Be more interested in them than they are, than they are in you. And you will build bulletproof relationships. And this app is like your secret weapon and it's free. So I, I've just been playing with it. And actually the first person that I plugged in was you, AJ. Uh Oh, and uh, it pulled up basically all the major relevant things from your recent past. It pulled up your move to New York, your trip to Australia, you doing Heather's. Um, it pulled up your Kings activity. You know how you follow the, uh, the LA Kings. Uh, it pulled up some of the, the more, I guess, popular photos or the more kind of um, milestone-ish photos from your Instagram feed. And it was just like within 30 seconds, I was caught up on the big rocks from your, from your life. Wow. So imagine going to meet a producer or a director or a potential collaborator, plugging their name into this taking a minute in your car to go over what's going on and then walking into that meeting, knowing everything that you need to know about their life in a way that will be flattering and not scary. <laughs> wow. Fla- flattering yet not inside acting podcast. Be flattering, <laughs> but not scary. But not scary. <laughs> That's going to be our new sub subtitle for the podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Inside Acting Podcast. We'll flatter you, but hopefully not scare you. <laughs> that's, right. that's, um, that's the line we're walking here. But I yeah. feel like I feel like you beat me to the punch and I'm kind of upset. I have been waiting for this other app that's very similar to this to go live so I could make it my pick of the week. It's called Human with an I. Human. So it's H U M I N Human with an I and it's like very human. similar to this. Okay. Yeah, it's very similar to this in that uh, it's it stores and organizes all of your contacts from your phone. And uh, some of the people who are beta testing it right now, I've been following it on uh, on Twitter. Some of the people who are beta, beta testing it right now have said that it has literally replaced their phone app on their iPhone. Um, and it's it's very similar in that it it's like you know they they say essentially it. It's the way that you would organize your contacts if you could design the contacts app. Um, wow. So I don't know. We'll see. It'll be a, a fight to the finish. I'm going to install Refresh as soon as we're done recording and start playing around with it and, and plug you in, Trev, since you plugged me in. <laughs> yeah, um, it's pretty cool, man. That's All right, cool. Well, human. That's I, awesome. Sweet. There you Refresh. go. Dot io is is the refresh website yeah refresh.io and what's the human website do they have human one? yeah human.com it's a invite only thing so like you can put your email address in uh and request early access uh which i did a long time ago and i still don't have it so i don't know who they're uh who they're inviting i'm i'm not one of them <laughs> okay. all right right on all right so there you go listeners double whammy double boom boom stalking whammy um, stalking <laughs> <laughs> so our our listener pick of the week is something that i'm excited about um listener annie uh hayes wrote in basically in response to my mention of a book called the fast diet i think it was last episode where i talked about intermittent fasting and uh she referenced this guy named mark sisson i think is how you say his last name it might be sison but i think it's sisson and I'm familiar with Mark because he's Beachbody's um, 
nutrition, like resident nutrition expert. And he's also got this really robust, like 3000 plus post blog. And he's written extensively about intermittent fasting. Uh, and I learned a lot just going through some of the links here. And uh, Annie linked us to his blog. And in specific, this one uh, article or post that he wrote about intermittent fasting and some of the different methods out there. And he's got a very in-depth look at the health benefits to intermittent fasting and, and what he found has, wor- has worked for him and many people he knows. So it's, it's really pretty fascinating. If this at all interests you, um, head over to our website and look for the link to Mark's Daily Apple in the show notes for this episode and uh, check it out. You can spend probably 20, 25 minutes and learn uh, a great deal of fascinating information about intermittent fasting. So thank you, Annie, for the awesome, awesome uh, link and listener pick of the week. And on a personal note, I just want to publicly thank her on the on the podcast. I think I may have mentioned this before, but if not, I just want to say thank you, Annie, again for coming to see Heather's. That's right. She was on. She's going to Cornell, I believe. She said, and she was on her uh, spring break. I guess it was, and she her family lives in Brooklyn, I think. And she came down, she was staying with them and she came up to see, I think one of our, one of our last previews. Um, so it was really great to meet her and, and so cool for, for our listeners to, uh, come and come and support me and support the show. And it just, it's really cool to, to be meeting our, our sort of East coast contingent here. That is so cool. I got to say, that's my favorite, my absolute hands down favorite thing about, about, this show is getting to meet the people who actually listen to us. Yeah. It's so, it's my absolute favorite part. They're real and they're cool. I know (laughs) they're real. They're not robots that we bought from some Indonesian programmer. They actually are people that listen to this. (laughs) Oh man. Did you go Indonesian because I am Indonesian? Yes. That's exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You, I didn't, you're, you're not Indonesian. Are you? I, what? Yes, I am. Dude, you are Italian and Middle Eastern and, um, and Greek Don't say Mexican. and Spanish. And what else are you? But you're not Indonesian. I, I am Indonesian. Are you joking right now? I can't <laughs> see your face. No. Actually, I did not know you were Indonesian, but I guess why wouldn't you be? <laughs> why wouldn't I be? Indonesian? I don't know. Maybe you, you said it yourself, Mr. <laughs> Ethnically Ambiguous, you know. Oh, that's the best. Throw some Indonesian I, in there. Why not? <laughs> why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you be? That's, man, I'm going to be laughing about that for a few days. That's the best. Um, yeah, man. So that's about it. And speaking of listeners, um, we do want to give a shout out to our patron of the week, Miss Susan Moss, who we both had the pleasure of meeting. And uh, as her as her bio says, she loves being someone else for fun and profit. And it's pretty cool because Susan is currently in... Uh, a fitness challenge group that I'm running and she's having epic success. And she's also been really great about suggesting guests and things like that for the podcast that are out people out there in Atlanta or people that are passing through Atlanta. And she's been really playing the role of a connector in many ways. So Susan is kicking ass, paying it forward and uh, is a long, long time supporter of the podcast. And Susan, we wanted to give you a shout out and thank you so much for not only your support, but for being who you are. Keep it up. Um, you rock really hard. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Agreed on all fronts. So then uh I think that does it then for episode 139, yeah? That sounds like a wrap, my friend. All right. So 
a lot of ways that you guys listening to this can be in touch with and interact with the podcast. Uh, for starters, head to our website, InsideActingPodcast.com, where you can leave a comment on our site on one of the episode posts. You can email us at InsideActingPodcast at gmail.com, or you can even get your voice on the show and call our voicemail line at 213-2-ACTORS. That's 213-222-8677. And very few things please us more than to get voicemail so if you want to make a day <laughs> give us a call that sounded like the best commercial for our voicemail line ever if Did you it? want to make our day give us a call uh yeah it was awesome it was it was awesome uh there yeah we're all over the internet seriously google inside acting inside acting podcast you can find us everywhere the twitters the facebooks etc 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 you know we haven't announced it yet um, and I don't know why, but I'm going to take this opportunity to announce, drumroll please, uh, we actually have our own, our very own Inside Acting Podcast app yeah. available uh, for free for the time being on the app. So if you uh, would like a, a whole other experience of listening to the podcast, you can check that out. Just do a search for Inside Acting in the App Store. Uh, once again, apologies to our Android users out there, our Android listeners, uh, but it is an iPhone-only app for the time being. But uh, but yeah, it's just it's cool. It's just a, a, a real fun way to listen to the podcast and to be connected to the podcast. You can actually call us directly from the app, so maybe it will actually increase our... Uh, our voicemails there yeah <laughs> that's right you know we that app's been out for i think just a couple weeks now but i can't believe that we didn't mention it we've been working with a programmer named esteban Uribe. he's a longtime friend of ours and he put in a lot of work uh basically pro bono for us to build this app and through several meetings and back and forths we polished the app together to a place where we're excited and proud to have it out so um there may be some more changes coming to the podcast, so hop over and grab that app for free right now uh, before something changes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what's going to change with the app, if anything, but but right now um, I do know that everything is is perfectly aligned and working beautifully. So um, go ahead and grab it and uh, enjoy it and let us know what you think. And uh, I know we, as well as Esteban, would really appreciate a, a positive rating if you enjoy the app. Yeah, rate it. Rate it. Rate us on iTunes. Give us a five-star review unless you have an issue. And if you do, before you rate us, email us. Let us know what it is so that we can fix it. And uh, last but certainly not least, of course, you can always support the podcast with your dollar bills, y'all, and help keep the wheels rolling on this bus. Uh, You can do so at our website, InsideActingPodcast.com. Click the donate button, leave a billion dollars on our e-doorstep, and we will uh, talk about you on the podcast and maybe give you some other gifts in the future. But uh, talking about you behind your back is the best we can do for the time being. (laughs) Publicly behind your back. Publicly behind your back. That's uh, Behind your back on the internet. Is that still behind (laughs) your back? I don't know. Turn around. Let's see. Um, Oh, gosh. Why wouldn't you be Indonesian? Anyway. (laughs) I'm never going to live that down. Uh, no, you're not. I won't let. I will not allow it. All right. Brilliant. Uh, cool, man. And then, wow. Yeah, for episode 139, um, that's all she wrote. 
big thanks and shout out to Jen, our production coordinator, Cesar de Gamino, our technical producer, all our patrons, including uh, Susan Moss. Yeah, for everybody that makes this thing happen every week, uh, my name is Trevor Algott. And I'm AJ Meyer. You've been listening to Inside Acting Podcast, where we condone flattering that's not scary. <laughs> This episode of Inside Acting has been brought to you in part by VO2Gogo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best VO Training four years in a row. Visit VO2Gogo.com slash start for a free Getting Started in VoiceOver online class that will help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. That's VO2Gogo.com slash start.